Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. On FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Oh, welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Joe Goldberg is in the house today. I'm in the house, the house I'm ready to <laughs> vacate for the holiday season and go and visit some yeah. kids and the like. Yeah, so what's going on with you? Where are you get going? out of the house. I got the lights on, I'm outside. Well, oh, the lights always Indiana. on and you're never home. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's called Indiana, the gateway to uh, Kokomo, gateway to Del- Delphi, great towns. Yeah. It's a nice town. Nice you're town. leaving your books behind, but you're not bringing them with you, right? I am, I am writing, writing, baby. There's no off switch on the, on the authors, right, Mike? Absolutely not. No, no off switch. No, no, no time off. Maybe for the true crime writers, but not as, uh, not as real fiction writers. No, I'm I'm writing right now. I'm getting about ten thousand words in during this interview. <laughs> Good man, I would yeah. be too. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's probably lots to write about here. You got a lot of personality going on here. So, uh, so Mr. Mike McCrary, you've been quite the writer over the years here. Try to. Thanks, Al. Yeah, but I'm, I've noticed some of these. Uh, how did you get into this world of writing to where you're making it like a? It's kind of like a full time thing. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's not quite a full time thing. So it's still got a day gig, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's a long story. I actually got into writing through screenwriting. I did uh, wrote a script, my very first script, uh, and it got optioned by a small uh, indie production company. And I decided, you know, I wasn't old, but I wasn't young. I was like thirty one, I guess, and I hated my corporate job. And I decided that I was just going to uh, leave it all and go take off to L.A. and did that and um, moved to L.A. Kind of, kind of banged around there for a while. I was, in, was a Hollywood intern for a while. I got agent, manager, and all that stuff. And uh, 
There's always the guy that was like one yes away. You know, I'd, I'd have the meetings, and it would move up the ladder at various studios, and this person would like it, and this person would like it, then the last person would say no, and that was always the person, the money person, <laughs> which is a problem. And I did that for years and got some assignment stuff here and there, but never was consistent. And I was getting really frustrated with it and had a lot of near misses. And I, my manager and I were having a drink, and I was always pitching these books to option. They are always crime books, noir stuff. And at the time, nobody nobody wanted anything to do with any of that. And my manager said to me, why don't you just go write one? Had adapted a couple of authors' books for screenplays that nothing ever happened with, but I got to know some writers and what they were going through, and their complaints didn't sound all that bad to me compared to uh, <laughs> compared to what was going on in Hollywood. And I didn't. I sat down and uh, wrote my first book, which was uh, Remo Went Rogue, and uh, it's kind of been on from there. That's quite a jump from being a waiter and a dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that did a lot of that. I've uh, done customer service phones. I've uh, there aren't too many too many gigs out there that I haven't at least dabbled in. It's it's but it's good. I mean, I think all that stuff's great for writing. I think you know the more more successes and failures, the more different jobs you do at various levels. All that stuff. You meet all kinds of people. You learn all kinds of you know various how things work and skills and things like that. It all feeds the writing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed all of my. Waitering and dishwashing and yeah, all that. Walking the streets, maybe. Yeah, walking the streets. I was a streetwalker <laughs> for years, you know. Selling organs, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's what you got to do. Well, do what you got to do. So what was the difference between the screenwriting biz and the book writing biz? The actual, the actual writing part of it, the process part. The actual, yeah, the actual writing of it, it's, it's more format than, than anything else. I mean, it's a lot of, you do have to transition. When you're writing screenplays, it's all show. Right. It's, it's, you're completely writing for visuals because that's what movies are, you know, obviously aside from dialogue and stuff. So when you get into the, what I had to learn and is more transition to book is getting more into the narrative style of it, where you do have to be a little more descriptive and, and you're in people's heads where you're not really in people's heads in movies and finding the balance between that. Like my first shots at books, they were always, the word count was just very little because when you're writing screenplays you learn that you can write a full story in 90 to 110 pages with a lot of white space you know there's not you get to be very very um economical with your sentences because you only have so much real estate to work with and it's valuable in screenplays and you can read some books and people will take 2,000 words to describe you know a tree and you don't you don't get to do that in screenplays so you have to kind of kind of have to learn how to juice up your word count a little bit at least i did that's why I didn't make it a screenplay, because I wrote 2,000 words to describe a tree. <laughs> That's, He's the yeah, one. You can't do that. No. You just say, a tree. Yeah. That's pretty much what you get. <laughs> oh. Uh, so where do you get your ideas from? Or I should, first of all, I should ask you, do you, get, do you, do you have characters come to you first, and then you're going to do something with them? Or do you have kind of a story? or some theme, and then you add characters later? Yeah, it's. I think it's been a little bit of both. Sometimes I'll just have a character in mind, and I don't know what he or she is going to do, but I just kind of sketch out, you know, the personality type and profession and backstory, and then I'd kind of find a story around that character. And other times I'll, I'll have come up with, like, a log line, you know, for a, for an idea, and then I'll just go from there and then fill it with characters. So it's kind of kind of a little of both. I keep, like, a um, a word file on my hard drive, probably like a lot of people that just have these random ideas that none of them really mean anything. And, and 98% of them are complete garbage. But, you know, you kind of look at it from time to time, look at oh, yeah, that one's nice. I can polish that up and maybe add that to something or, you know, take it and combine it with a different idea or, or, or whatever. But it's it's kind of all over the place. And and your characters then, or are they kind of, do they come from people you've you've known, you've worked with, you've 
you've met or you, you know, washed their dishes or something? Is that <laughs> a lot of, I've washed a lot of people's dishes. No, it's, um, yeah, it's all of the above. I, I think one of the weird questions, and you, you know, you guys probably get this too, is like people always, people always assume that you're writing about them or at least like friends and family do it. Like, Oh, is it, you know, my character in your book? Like, no, you're not. Like I, I never write about any one person specifically. I might take like a, a job that I heard somebody's brother did or, you know, some minor personality tick that I've known somebody, you know, somebody from high school or whatever, but I rarely write specifically about, you know, one, one person. It's usually like just kind of a, an amalgamation of different people. So when you do write, I know you just discuss character and story what do you pay most attention to or how do you feel like use of language or setting or description of the character what 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 gets you going the most but what do you think is the most important yeah i mean i guess it's it's a byproduct of the screenwriting thing is a dialogue i i really enjoy writing the dialogue and i think that's how you get to know the character first i'll just write conversations when i'm kind of i don't really outline i'm kind of a hybrid between a pantser and and a, and a plotter, but um, I will sit there and planter, planter, yeah. yeah. So it's it's kind of I'll sometimes if I'm kind of stuck and I don't know who this character is, and it's, it's something I think I think Tarantino maybe is where I heard about it on a podcast or something where you just get them talking, you sit them down in a diner, put them across from whoever, and just get the characters talking about whatever, and write a few pages of that, and you kind of get a handle on who are, who are these these people, but. Descriptions, I, I, I stay kind of light on character descriptions, mainly because I just want the reader to kind of just enough to know who this person is, but they can kind of fill in the blanks on who they want it to be, I guess, in a way. Um, setting informs the character, but I don't really do a whole deep dive on that. Maybe that's a byproduct of screenwriting, too. But it's, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just through the dialogue and actions is really how I try to get across who this person is. So do you actually... In your head or in your mind, do you see your character, or do you have a relationship with your your main characters? Yeah, I, I guess in a way, I'll when I'm setting up something, I'll create a um, in OneNote, Microsoft OneNote, I'll create like these huge files with various ideas and whatever. But one of the pages in there will be pictures of you know uh, somebody from a movie or somebody or whatever, and they can be five different pictures from five different people. But this is kind of the person that I'm thinking of, you know, it could be Cary Grant and, you know, I don't know, Macaulay Culkin, but, but there's something about those two roles or whatever remind me of this character I'm going for. And I kind of go back to that. Rarely is it like one set person. I'm trying to think if I've ever done that, but I don't think I have. It's always been kind of just this combination of various characters from movies or even the personality of an individual actor or something like that. So and, and so, how do you, you're creating dialogue? Do you mm-hmm. how do you do that? Do, do, do you see it like a, a movie running in your head when you're putting it with your characters? I do. Yeah, that's it's kind of when people ask me about the writing. It's I do see it, and it's kind of. But I'm just trying to write it down in the cool, describe it in the coolest way I can. Um, the dialogue stuff. It really is. You just start with. Or I just start with. You know, who is this person? What do I want them to get across? You know, what is their function in the story? And then kind of go with it and just see where it takes me. And then you just kind of, you just kind of find her. At least I do. You just kind of find it. Who is, and really after the first draft, it's really that second draft that you really, or at least I do, really kind of get a feel for what the whole thing is. I'll write a first draft and I'm, I'm kind of a, I, this is also another screenwriting thing where you do that first draft, which is kind of a vomit draft. It's, you know, I just go put the pedal down. I don't, there's not even a, a, a backspace on the keyboard and I'll write the first draft fast because it can be 
horrible and whatever, and I don't care because I'm a better rewriter than a writer, I feel. So if I can get that first draft down, then I can go back in that second or third swipe, make it uh, make it better and pretty. So let me. So, what do you do with your characters? Is, is it a good versus bad situation where mm-hmm. ordinary people get put into a situation that they need to deal with, kind of like a Fargo kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, a matter of fact, I'm watching season five of the Fargo TV series right now. Yeah, I gotta watch it. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah, Coen Brothers, big big influence. I'm. That's probably the. I, I tell people I write thrillers, but that's kind of. I don't even know what that means anymore because genre is just kind of. You know, you go on Amazon, every book has 15 different subcategories and they're all true. So it's, I write, I write thrillers, but I've written psychological thrillers. Crime thrillers is probably where I was, uh, you know, born and raised, noir type stuff. And a lot of, uh, good guys found, you know, find themselves in Hitchcockian situations or are anti-heroes that, that want to do good, that kind of stuff. Uh, I've written some psychological thriller stuff. I wrote kind of a, a near future thriller, uh, three book series. Marcus Murphy series, so I kind of I kind of play around in all the uh, the different thriller ponds, I guess. But that's uh, if I had to like pick where my you know where my heart lies, it's with kind of the grittier crime, pulpy noir stuff. Right, so the good versus evil. Yeah, good versus evil, but it's kind of a little more gray. You know, the the good isn't all that good. <laughs> you know, the good could be better, but it's uh, but the but the the bad is worse. I guess is kind of what I like. Yeah, I think of, I think of the grittier, more noir sort of stories is uh, it isn't always happy ending and not everyone's good. Right. So there's you know everyone's kind of in the middle and you see all all different parts. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I'm I'm uh, I was raised with Elmore on the Elmore Leonard stuff. Huge huge fan of that and kind of in uh, everything in between. So in your in your book you were talking about someone savage. Mm-hmm. Do you have that sort of outcome? In it, is this a a story that doesn't have a happy ending then? Well, you, you got to read the book, man. This is, I, can't, <laughs> I can't sit here. What are, what are we doing here? <laughs> We're going to go through each chapter, and you're going to tell how us. I, you know, how about we just read the books? That's that's what we'll do yeah. right now. No, it's. Um, I will say it has a satisfying ending. I won't. I won't give anything away. I mean, it's it's definitely a grittier book. Um, definitely crime thriller. I, I had a blast writing it. The, the main character was so much fun to write, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd call it a true noir, but it's definitely kind of a uh, guy gets himself into a, a strange situation type of thriller. Well, let's stay on someone savage. The the impetus are kids yeah. that show up at his door, and right away people go, kids, thrillers, situations, <laughs> sorry, have a nice day, thank you very much, right. you know, wait, check waiter. Um <laughs> So what is it? Uh, How did you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, take a step back. So it's about this guy, Nicholas Hooper, who is a world-famous author who has done extremely well for himself, but he's kind of found himself in a little bit of a rut. He's written, like, a lot of successful stuff, but he hasn't written his true, you know, opus that he wants to do. And he's a little bit of a mess. He has a little problem with the booze, has, uh, you know, a few, few marriages out there that haven't worked out, but he's also gotten some bad news from his uh, doctor, who says, you know, he's, he's, he's not really long for this earth. He got a bad diagnosis. So he's decided he's going to rent this massive house out in the Poconos and write his, his final book before he goes. And it's, it's going all right for the most part until, uh, until in the middle of the night, one night, uh, a young girl and a young boy knock on his door and they're, they're not looking too good. It looks like they, they've been on the run, maybe lived outdoors for a little bit and they, they also refuse to speak, but they, but they need his help. And he reluctantly, uh, reluctantly joins in to help him. Because there's some bad people after him. So you had the kids yeah. as a plot element. Oh, yeah. How'd you feel about that? 
You know, I don't. I shy away from the kids in danger type stuff. That seems to be there seems to be a lot of that, you know. And I, I don't. As a reader, I will if I find out. Kind of like your point. If I hear that this is oh, this is about you know child murder or child abduction or, or things like that, I will kind of shy away from this. I saw this as more of like the movie Witness, the way kids were used. If that makes any sense, like it's it's more of. Uh, Someone that you wouldn't normally, a character that wouldn't normally be a protector of children becomes a protector and a helper of children in the story, if that makes sense. How how do you show or display or even write your violence in a book? I do a lot of it. <laughs> some, some, some books are more than others. Uh, some to uh, some readers chagrin. Yeah. I mean, there's some, the, the, uh, earlier books. Uh, were pretty pulpy, pretty kind of Tarantino y with the violence. Um, maybe even over the top and stuff, but that was just kind of, that was kind of the vibe though. Um, and a lot of the books can be violent. I've kind of come off of that on, on different books just because it wasn't the way that the, uh, the story should be, in my opinion. I've done different types of things that maybe, you know, aren't as violent and some they're extremely violent, but I don't, I don't try to get too descriptive with the gore, but it's, you know, I don't feel like you have to be for people to be like, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, I don't I don't describe every limb falling to the floor or anything like that. But as some might, but some people like that. But it's uh, it's there. Darn. Yeah. No, no, sorry. yeah. Darn for Al. Yeah. yeah. Darn. Just just lost a million readers right there. <laughs> I'll take them. I'll take them. <laughs> yeah. I'll write whatever you want, guys. Well, that, and that kind of leads me to a question of you mentioned your readers. And, sure. And, thinking about it. how much do you think about your readers as you're writing are they over your shoulder saying oh that i like that i don't like that or <laughs> you just let it let it let it rip and the readers you know they get what they get yeah when i'm planning i like to read all my one-star reviews and uh really really dig into that no i um <laughs> i you know it's it's evolved over time so it's you know, I tell people, like, I've been on some panels and stuff, and I always tell people, like, there's writing, and then there's the business of writing. And you can ignore the business of writing, and that's fine, but but it's, it's kind of silly to do that. You don't have to, like, sell. I'm not saying sell yourself out and go write whatever is hot or whatever, but you do. To me, there is a sweet spot between what you want to write and what you do well and what people want to read. And to me, if you can find the Venn diagram of what that is, that's really what it's all about. So... I do try to kind of think about what the reader is looking for in a book. Um, can't please everybody all the time. That's obvious. But I, I have gotten more of an eye for rather than just doing whatever the hell I want to do. Um, try to have a little bit of eye like, okay, what, what book do I want to read? And what book would other people like to read as well? It's, I think it's, you know, I, I, think, I think it's foolish to just completely ignore the audience when you read. But at the same time, it can be crippling. If you're trying to make every decision to please every reader that's out there, and and evil characters or the person that's doing the bad thing, usually in your books, do you do you, uh, do you enjoy writing that person? I'd imagine you would. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds most, like it. Yeah, that's the most fun. I mean, I, uh, most writers I know um, in the crime and the thrillers, that's 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 where the good stuff is. But you, it's and but the problem with that is you can spend so much time on the bad guy that you kind of leave the. Uh, the, the main character, the protagonist being kind of vanilla and just this cardboard do-gooder. And so you have to kind of pay attention to that. And that's, and maybe that's where some of the kind of the anti-hero or the gray comes in where, you, you know, these people don't have to be perfect. They can have a little, uh, have a little dirt on them too. But yes, uh, to answer your question, the bad guys are for me the most fun. Well, let's make this a twofer. You write uh, 
series and you write standalones, right. the question would be, what's the difference? And something could be said about how much you'd be able to flesh out your characters maybe in a series. But how, how do you do it? How, because I'm, I'm sort of working on that myself right now, so I'm interested in how, how you plot out a series versus standalone books. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's really just kind of when you're setting up the original story, do you feel like there's more, you know, is there more meat on the bone? Is there more story to this? than just a one-off. Someone Savage is a standalone. I mean, I, you know, sure, I, I could probably squeeze another book or two out of it, but it would be kind of, I don't know, silly, in my opinion. It's, it doesn't make, wouldn't make a ton of sense. But if you had like, you know, the Remo series, there was, there was things that could have, actually, go back to that, the Remo series actually takes, it's four smaller books. I won't call them novellas. They're probably a little, somewhere between novel and, and novellas, but it actually takes the play, it takes place over just a handful of days and over four different books. So if you feel like you have some kind of, you know, it, you have a full complete story that you can break down into multiple books, that's really, I mean, detective novels are the simplest example. It's, it's a new case, you know. Um, but I, it's really, it's really just, do you feel like you can do this for, you know, three, five, ten books? You know, what what is what is the, how is this character going to evolve over 10 books. But of course, now that I think about it, there's plenty of series where the characters don't really evolve. I mean, Jack Reacher, he pretty much been the same for, you know, what are we on 20 books now? You know, so it's, I think it just, um, I think it just really depends on what kind of story it is. Is it setting based? Is it plot based? Then, okay. Then your character doesn't really need to change or evolve all that much. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a question. I, I, and I don't know that I know the answer to it. It's, but in my opinion, it's really do I sit down and, and think, okay, can I write this over multiple stories with these particular characters? And sometimes the answer is no. And then I just, you know, and that's how we go. So do you actually, you don't really plan out your series then? You're just kind of go as you go kind of thing? Originally, no. Originally, it was just uh, complete, all right, finish that one. What's the next one about? You know, which I don't know if that's the right way or the wrong way. Um, but now if I do sit down to write a series, I do try to be a little bit more um, methodical about how you're going to do this. Like where are we? And the other part is it's I find it's hard with the series is like, you know, you, it's difficult. Readers get tend to get very hostile when you leave a book on a pure cliffhanger, which makes it difficult. To like, how do you, you know, thread each book together in a series? outside of like a detective novel or anything like that. So it's, it's. How would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study? People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You have to kind of plot and plan. All right, I'm not going to have this guy, you know, with a gun to his head at the end of book one, by, by book two to find out, that's just going to piss people off. So you, you do have, I think, if you're going to be smart about it, which I have not always been in the past, you do need to kind of figure out what's the arc of this thing. You know, what's wh- how is this thing going to evolve over over a series of books? Yeah, I was a, I was a dummy by second book, and there was a cliffhanger because when I got there, I didn't know how to end it. Right. So I said, Let, give me more time. To, you guys finish. It wasn't because I wanted to buy the third book, whatever. It's like, you know what? I don't know. With the answers i can sit here all day <laughs> thinking about it so yeah we finish this book and i'll give me some time to write the next one i'll figure the plot out for that and i don't really hear too much feedback yeah but it bothers me sure you know for that, for that very reason yeah well i think you can book two you can probably get away with that because you're you're in it you know what if they've read two books good chance they're not gonna be as mad with the you know you get into the th- third one but i think if you know if you start book one with a major cliffhanger like that i don't know if people are gonna go to book two you know Thanks for making me feel better. Yeah, that's yeah. what I do. I'm a giver. <laughs> yeah, that's what we hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so on the overall, but do do you have some sort of a system then to keep track of your characters when you're writing a series? Yeah, uh, like I said, I use OneNote a lot. I'll create like these files, and uh, um, if I know it's going to be a series, I create a, a tab. Uh, when I finish, you know, book one or book two or whatever, I'll write okay kind of a synopsis of where we left it with these people, you know, and like a paragraph of this is what happened to him in book one. And this is how we ended book two and, and, and so on, just to kind of keep myself from not losing my mind. Fortunately for me, a lot of my books, a lot of characters die from book to book. So it's, there's only a handful that you have to keep track of. Uh, spoiler alert, everyone. But um, that's the only way I know how to do it. I, I have no idea. I'm in awe of these people that write these epic fantasy books that are 600 pages with, you know, all these economic systems and, you know, class systems and, and God knows how many characters. And they do it for like 10, 15 books. That's I, I there's no way I, I have no, no idea how to do that. And and in your books, do you ever kind of have kind of a meaning or a subtext or something that you feel is important that lies underneath the story itself, even if it happens organically? Yeah, I don't set out that way. I don't, I, I, I guess some writers do start out with some, some kind of theme or what they want to say. I start out with just, 
like we were talking about it, the character idea, story idea, um, whatever. And it's not usually until I get to that, maybe even the third run at it where I'm like, oh, that's what this is about. And then I will kind of maybe go back in and, you know, flesh that out a little bit more where it's not where I, okay, I get what I was trying to say in this thing, but maybe, you know, somebody picking up, don't, you know, and you don't, and to me, you don't want to beat people over the head with theme necessarily. Like, Hey, this is, this is how I feel. You want to kind of, you kind of sprinkle it in there. And if they get it great, if they don't, well, that's fine too. But um, I really don't typically know the, um, the meaning or the theme until I'm, you know, probably almost done with the book. Well, let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, you said you're a planter. Mm-hmm. Do you know the end or or do you know the end when you when you got to it? I know. So I'm, I'm writing to this point. Right. Or you just say, I, I get there. Yeah. The, the, the process has evolved over time and is always changing from book to book. But I've, I've kind of done this thing where I will make a pretty sparse outline. Um like a 10, 10 point beat sheet, act one, act two, act three, and I'll have an idea for an ending. Nine times out of 10, that ending's going to change by the, while, I, while I go through it. And what I'll do now is I'll write that first half of the book to the midpoint, and then I'll stop. And then I'll go back to the beginning and rewrite, reread that first half. And then I'll revisit the outline because then I think because at that point now I know the characters I kind of know where this thing is going. What does that second half of the outline look and and like and it changes most of the time. Like okay, all that stuff that I thought I was going to do the second half of the book, that's not going to work. Or I thought of something better or different while I was writing the first half of the book and change all of it. Or you know that that thing that I was going to that third act twist that's stupid. That's <laughs> this is so much better. But I, to me and this is kind of a, it's. It's a great way to just write the first half. And it takes some of the pressure off mentally, like this mental block of, oh, my God, i got to write a whole book. Like, no, you just, just got to write a half a book. And then you go back and you, re- you reread it, go through, make notes, think it through, and then, and then you can kind of finish the rest of it. I, it works for me. Mike, 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 as you were saying the word pressure, I was actually writing the word pressure <laughs> in my notes. So for, I was writing because do you feel a time pressure, or how long does it take you to do that? It's like, I got the two years to write this book. I need to get done in six months. Or do you, is there, what's the pressure from the point of view of the business part and the point of view from the writer part? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I put the pressure on myself. I don't, there's not a ton of, it's, I write pretty fast. So that's never been a huge issue. So, I mean, from idea to a finished book, it, I can probably get a first draft done in a couple of months. It's more the rewriting after that. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, the pressure comes from within, I guess, not to get too uh, fancy about it. It's more about just making it, not making it suck. <laughs> it's probably the main pressure, which is kind of a, you know, it's, it's a general way of saying it, but it's it's true. Just that pressure of putting something out there that's just not what I want it to be or just isn't as good as it could be. That's That's probably the real pressure. The time stuff, like most of, that doesn't really bother me all that much, to be honest with you. I don't. I don't mean to hurt people's feelings, but it's, I, I don't really, um, the, the amount of time it takes me to write something has, has never been that big of a problem yet. Knock on wood. You're not as old as Joe. So it's true. He's nimble. Yeah. <laughs> well, what makes a good book for you? What's a good story? What keeps you reading? Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I read. It's hard because I, I bounce between things like, oh, that looks, somebody told me about this book. This is really cool. I want to read it I, just as a fan. But as a writer, and maybe, you know, you guys have the same thing, you have to read a certain amount of things just 
to help you with the thing you're working on, right? So sometimes you're reading just for information or inspiration. Sometimes you're just reading for pleasure. But usually it's – and it's hard as a writer, but, you know, give me something that I haven't seen a thousand times or give me something that I've seen a thousand times but give me a little bit different take on it. Is the, that's the, the main thing. I look for just good writing, exciting, energetic writing, but also – just a, just a different take on what I've seen. There's a million books out there, or even more than that, a gajillion books out there. Um, and I don't, I just, I just don't want to read the same thing over and over again. Well, let's get away from reading them because you brought them to my mind because I sort of stopped reading and started listening. Uh-huh. I just, I burned through audible books, you know, fast and I can buy credits <laughs> and your, and, and your books are audible. What do you feel about hearing your words? spoken out loud yeah it's that's that's tough um because personally i i don't listen to fiction but i'll listen to nonfiction. i don't know why um but people love love the audiobooks and i <laughs> there's a, a book a book i wrote called genuinely dangerous and it's it's pretty dark and it's pretty but it's kind of a dark fun it's more like on the chuck palinuk scale of dark, fun, weird kind of stuff. And I never really understood. And I'll read parts of that book when I do like noir at the bar stuff. And it always gets a big reaction. It's fun. And some people are kind of shocked by some of the stuff. And I'd like, what, what is your problem? It's not that big of a deal. But then when I heard the audio book and somebody like acted out, I'm like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> now I understand <laughs> people's problems. When I was writing it, I'm like, ah, you know, Whatever, but when I heard somebody else read it to me and act it out, like, okay, now that, that makes perfect sense why people look at me strangely sometimes. So you don't read the book back to yourself before it has a, in an editing process, maybe? Not, I mean, I do in parts. I mean, I, I, but I don't know, it's just different. It's, um, I don't know, when you, when you hear somebody going through the whole thing and, and somebody, you know, like a really good trained voice actor that's doing it the right way, it just, it just hits a little different. I guess it's just, it gets you out of your own head. Shameless, shameless plug and idea. I went to Speechify. Mm-hmm. I put my book into this. It's basically an AI voice generating. They have Snoop Dogg read your book back to you, and so I can so I can hear it and go through the. You can and go through the uh, words. Read it as I'm listening to it, and that really gives me a different sort of flavor of what I may have intended. So like, you mean like through the editing process? You just you just put yeah. Snoop Dogg when, when, when I'm in editing, yeah, I put it. I I've gotten whatever draft I'm on close to the end, maybe, and I throw it on Speechify. And it reads it back to me, and I'm reading my manuscript, and I go, oh, stop. oh that's bad. Mm-hmm. Or make a note here, the words are wrong, or I left something out just right. for proofreading. But um, when I'm hearing it and reading it at the same time, I get a different perspective on what maybe I didn't get across or I was trying to get across or go, ooh, that was a good one. How can I pick that? Oh, that's great. So that's, that's my new tu- my new trick. Well, I, I just I just stole that from you. You have it. This is my newsletter this month. So, so go to my newsletter, yeah. JoeGoldbergBooks.com. Yeah, you have the newsletter. Have a nice day. Yeah, along, on the same lines, there's a trick in that it's, it's very simple, but somebody told me it a couple of years, and it's like, duh. So I um, have a uh, – vellum is the thing I use, but they, it helps you convert yep, you too. convert word into like a, an ebook thing. And just the act – but that you know, when I'm done with that third, fourth draft or whatever, just converting it into an ebook and sending it to my Kindle and reading it on that, just looking at it in a different format changes everything. I'll do that for like a final pass. Yep, I agree. I like I have vellum. I do vellum too. Yeah. Jeez, I'm lazy. I do nothing. Come on, Alan. <laughs> you're better. You're better, you're better than that. You're better, Alan. Come on. <laughs> not much. Not. No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm terrible. I've been told. When you get ratings like that, do mm-hmm. do you follow your reviews and what people say and especially like when you talk about other authors or maybe a magazine or even bigger 
entities other than just a person giving you a one or two star? Do you actually follow all these reviews and comments? You know what? I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. I, you know, you hear a lot of writers and people like, I, I don't look at reviews. I don't, I don't know if I buy that. And like, I haven't gone through every single rating on, you know, someone savage. I think has almost 2000 on there right now. I'm not going through all those, but yeah, I, um, I'll sometimes look at them. I mean, just the, <laughs> I, I can do it now. It hurt. You know, I, I don't feel anything anymore, but I mean, it used to hurt. Some of the one stars used to really kind of sting a little bit, but now you kind of look at them like, okay, whatever. But there was a, a panel on Bouchercon that was all about one-star reviews, um, where the authors just got up there and talked about their horrible reviews and kind of try to dissect and, and you know and how you how you live through that. And there's, um, I would love to say, oh, you can learn something from them, but you can't. I mean, you can. I, I think it is a decent exercise to go back and look at kind of look at look look at the three-star reviews. Those are probably the more honest ones. I. I Five stars are great and they make you feel better. I guess the four and the threes are probably somebody's given maybe if there is some feedback and you see like a theme to one of your books or like a general, like you see like 20 reviews in a row that are saying the exact same thing, then maybe that's something you need to do, you know, brush, you know, bring your ego down and really take a look at that. But other than that, um, yeah, yeah, it's just either uh, I either want to beat myself up or I want to feel good about myself. Depends on how I look at the reviews. All right, just check my reviews. I got another one just just today. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Just remind me to check my reviews. Yeah, refresh. You, 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 you got to look at the one stars. You find them. You hunt them down and you take them out. <laughs> yeah, that's how my averages have gone up. I mean, what do you, you, you hunt down the person? Yeah. No, I, 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 well, I think I used to, but I don't now. I look at the overall. Yeah. I think that's probably more how it is um, because I don't want to get too focused on that either. You know what right. I'm saying? And, and back to that other thing about, you know, having your audience, you were talking about, you know, having your, your readers in your head. Like you can't, you know, if you take that stuff too seriously, it's it's going to affect just how you plan to write a book. If, you know, some one-star review and, I don't know, Omaha or what, didn't like your book, you can't let that crush your, you know, your creative thinking. That's It's just that person didn't like it to each their own, and, and let's get on with our lives. And a lot of times it's a combination. It's where they're coming from when they read something and how they feel and, and their own world and what they believe. Like, you know, there's, it's not just a one-sided when someone actually writes a review, I think. But, right. You know, no, I agree. What do I know? Yeah. You know, how does each how do each one of these books change you? Do you think? Like when you look back at the process, and each time you get through a book and get it published, mm -hmm. do you think there's something about it that changes you in some way? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess just I mean, strictly from a writing standpoint, I think you, every time you you do one of these things, you get a little better. Or at least you learn a little something on how how to do the thing. Um, as a person, I don't know. Um, maybe it's a combination of getting older and things like that, but yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm right. I'm writing two stories and I'm involved in real life characters, but sure. from what I see, a lot of writers like yourself that write fiction s still get really involved in their characters. They really, they live through them in a way and what you put your characters through in a way for that year or six months or whatever it is to do a book. Right. You're sort of going through the same things they are. You're feeling it. You're, do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it's real in that sense. So I was just kind of looking at, do you think it sort of adds to your character somewhat? Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying now. So yeah, I mean, there are points in the story, like especially there's been some emotional scenes in various books where you, you know, and, and you, and you, or at least I feel a little silly. When I when I do get a little kind of uh, teary eyed and some of the stuff that that, uh, that I'll do when I write those moments, but um, 
I, I think that means that you're doing something right. So I, yeah, I guess, I guess you do kind of take it away. I can't, it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly what, but there are specific moments where, um, especially like, you know, if it's an emotional ending or it's you know, a character that you it's going away and that you don't really want to go away. I, I think if you feel nothing, it's probably not a good sign. You know, you should probably You'd be like Joe. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to be dead inside like Joe. That's zombie. Yeah, <laughs> zombie. That's not. That's not. The apocalypse okay. is coming. Stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you end up in a bad place. You know. <laughs> so, how many people do you know that in real life that you've killed off in your books? How many people in real life that I've killed off yeah. in my books? I don't yeah. know that I've. I don't think we that want I'm, names and phone numbers. Yeah, no, they they know who they are. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> No, I don't know that I've done that. Cause like, like I said, I don't specifically write to certain people. I think there's maybe some types of people that I've killed off in my books just for, uh, you know, my own psychological well-being. But I can't think of anybody directly. That radio I hosts. Yeah, there's some, like me. There's some yeah. choice uh, radio interviewers <laughs> that I've talked to recently that might be going away soon. But no. I'll, I'll give you some tips, Mike. I'll give you some tips. <laughs> Appreciate that, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. A real slow, painful way to go. <laughs> Yeah. So setting, you don't, you don't really uh, focus on setting. Setting is not a character in your books. Um, some more than others. It's, um, but yeah, it's not something I focus on uh, too much. I mean, I think, you know, when I say somebody's in the street of New York, I don't need to explain that too much. I think people by now know that. Um, I, I setting the, the Poconos is for in Someone Savage in the house. There was a fair amount of time was spent on that just because you just want to set up the world. Uh, but if it's not, germane to what is going on in the story or it's not doesn't play a real big part i don't spend a ton of time on it because again i think people understand what a beach in los angeles looks like and they don't need me to write you know six paragraphs about it maybe i should i don't know you um ask people to look at your stuff as you're writing beta readers as they call them or just to bounce some stuff off some people hey sit here i'm gonna spew out my plot while i'm thinking about it <laughs> Uh, some, I usually don't, not too early in the process. I don't because I just, you know, even well-meaning people can alter how you think about something. I usually like to get a little bit further along before I start. To, I, I have some, some writer friends that I'll throw chapters at and say, Hey, take a look at this. What do you think this looks like? And because writers, or at least if, if they're true friends, um, they'll tell you whether something's trash or this isn't working. Um, I do have a, um, a beta reader team from an email list that I'll, I'll send it out to kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of a deal. They get, they get the book the free for free and they can kind of tell me kind of a last, well, one, see if I screwed up some proofreading things, but two, you know, what do you think would you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, other than that, no, not really. Yes. Yeah, I'm different. I mean, I, I just said that my wife, I was figuring out the plot of the thing I'm working on. I just kind of wanted to hear it out loud and yeah. see the reaction. I, I guess I'm more of an upfront sort of, muscle or whatever it might be put the effort into it and then how hopefully it flows as opposed to just keep to keep chopping until i get there yeah i do both actually. i i can see that yeah i mean it's like i said i when i'm trying to flesh out an idea i really i don't i'm kind of protective of it because i don't even if somebody tells me oh that's an amazing idea that's still gonna that's gonna alter the way i think about it I'm not going to be not going to be you know criticizing it you know internally if somebody tells me oh that's amazing like oh that's amazing I don't have to worry about anything I I kind of want to get it fleshed out and really understand what it is before somebody else once you say it to somebody else now it's it, it's open for it could be changed even in a minor way I guess that's how I it look exists. at it yeah it exists if I say it out loud now it's a thing 
It's not, it's not yeah. mine anymore. Yeah, and it, your, your wife still isn't speaking to you after that last one, Joe. I hear her packing upstairs right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've so, never killed a wife in a book. Yeah. <laughs> I never will. Let it be known. Over there. My characters love my wife. That is, that yeah. is, that is recorded. It is now a matter of record. No, she's, she's 10 feet away laughing, so I think I got something going for me. There you yeah. go. Well, there you go. See, it's moved. This has been so, Mike, you've been good for my marriage. Yes. Yeah. Well, all right. right. There you, that's your next book. Mike's there bad you. for his own, so I'm glad I'm helping. Yeah. <laughs> Get it. Well, you know. Jokes. So listen, uh, where do people find you uh, besides a really bad bar? <laughs> well, that's, a, that's not a bad place to look. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, MikeMcCurry.com, um, M-C-C-R-A-R-Y uh, is the last name. I'm also I'm on Instagram. I'm uh, Facebook, the usual places. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm easy to find. All the bad places. Listen, yeah. are you doing any live events? Are you got any plans for shows next year? I don't have anything scheduled yet. I just did the Texas Book Festival, did Noir at the Bar at that, which was a whole lot of fun. Um, I'm, I usually do the voucher cons and the, the big, the big conferences. Uh, I, I may be doing a reading in February, but that hasn't been, um, that hasn't been shored up yet, but I'm sure hopefully some things will, uh, will hit up on the calendar. You like doing those? Do you like that interaction with, uh, the shows? I do. I, I, um, I, I really do it. The noir at the bar stuff. I don't know if, if you guys ever been to one. Are you familiar with those at all? Do you know what, what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I've done quite a few of them over the years and mostly, uh, here in Austin, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I always tell people if you ever get a chance to get on a microphone in front of a group of strangers and say profane things, you, you take that chance because it is, it's, uh, it's a whole lot of fun. Oh, that's where I spend my life. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I remain quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, no problem. The book we featured is called Someone Savage, and it's an addict- addictive suspense thriller. It's not just a suspense thriller. It's That's addictive. Right. That's right. So it's the crack cocaine of thrillers. That's right. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> well, we appreciate you being here. Well, I appreciate you inviting me. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.